listen to What She Said. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Sadly, the last rays of summer break are shining down upon us, beckoning everyone to savor the fleeting warmth before fall's chilly embrace. And as we say goodbye to long, sunny days, Canadians are also navigating the financial strains that often accompany the transition to fall. Thankfully, today we have a heavy focus on the money, rounded out with a couple of interviews to help maintain your sanity, and the best part is it won't cost you a dime. Here's what's coming up. Liliana Camacho, director of the Better Way Alliance, joins me to unpack the impending SIBA loan repayment deadline and its impact on women entrepreneurs and marginalized business owners. Her deep insights on business sustainability and social impact are bound to enlighten. Next, Julie Cole, co-founder of Mabel's Labels and a mother of six, stops by to share her expertise on managing back-to-school expenses. As parents nationwide gear up for the school year, Julie's invaluable tips promise to be a beacon of practicality. Anne Brody is back to whisk us away into the world of cinema with a spotlight on Helen Mirren's portrayal as Gold in My Ear and the heartwarming story of Dave Fishwick in Bank of Dave. If captivating stories and performances are what you seek, Anne's segment is your stop. Steph Kelly of Copper Thread Coaching graces us with her presence to delve into the transformative power of self-compassion. In a world that constantly pushes us to be more, Steph's insights remind us of the importance of pausing and embracing our authentic selves. I'm also joined by Dee DeBarros, one half of the Coupon Couple, who's on a mission to guide Canadians through the intricate maze of saving and stretching their budgets. With rising prices everywhere, their timely advice might just be the relief many households are seeking. Lastly, the phenomena of the September surge and the intricacies of parental leave policies in workplaces come to the forefront with Allison Venditti. As employers are actively recruiting, Allison's advice on HR policies might just be the game changer many businesses need. So find your favorite spot in the sun and join me as we jump into this week's What She Said right here on Plus the Radio. In our first interview today, we're taking a look into the impending SIBA loan repayment deadline and its potential consequences for women entrepreneurs and marginalized business owners. To enlighten us on the matter, I'm joined by Liliana Camacho, director of the Better Way Alliance. With her background in economics and deep dedication to business sustainability and social impact, Liliana brings a unique perspective to the discussion. Welcome to What She Said, Liliana. Thanks. Happy to be here. So let's start with a brief overview of the SEBA program and the current terms of repayment. Okay, so SEBA stands for the Canada Emergency Business Account uh, Loan. It's known as SEBA, SEBA Loan. Essentially, this is a program that was offered by the federal government to small business owners during the pandemic to help cover any sort of business expenses. um, With the exception of wages. So typically, small businesses could take it to cover things like supplies, um, rent, any sort of ongoing operational expense. The program was designed um, to be partially a grant for qualifying businesses and then primarily a loan. So up to $60,000 was available to small businesses. And if they paid back by a certain deadline, they would qualify for up to 33% loan forgiveness. So for most businesses, that means $20,000 was forgiven. They were on the hook for forty grand, uh, and then they could pay that with no interest. So there has been no interest charged on this loan until now. SIBA was originally um, supposed to be uh, due actually last year. It was extended by one year, um, and that was thanks to a lot of the work done by numerous business associations and groups in Canada. It is now coming due, and the portion that is coming due actually is the forty grand or however much would not be forgiven. So it's really it's pretty confusing. Essentially, a business could qualify for twenty thousand dollars of loan forgiveness, provided they pay the entire forty grand by December thirty first of twenty twenty three. If they don't manage to pay forty thousand dollars, then they number one get interest charged on the entire amount outstanding, uh, and number two, have until December 2025 to pay it off. They do have to pay off monthly 
interest charges. It's a flat interest rate of 5%. And it's the full amount as well, right? It becomes the, if they don't pay off the 40, then they're on the hook for the full 60,000. For the full 60,000. Yes. Based on the data, women and business owners from marginalized communities faced, as we all know, disproportionate challenges due to the pandemic. So now it's time to pay back this loan. So can you delve a little deeper into the unique challenges that women and marginalized business owners are facing now? Yeah. So as you said, so women and marginalized business owners, they were disproportionately affected for a number of reasons. One is that they tend to work in the sectors that were hardest hit. So there are a lot of women who own businesses in food service, for example, cafes or restaurants, catering industry, um, tourism and hospitality. So that's like hotels, inns, tourism organizations. Um, service industries as well, um, small retail. So things like um, a gift shop on your main street or a nail salon, those sorts of companies were shut down and they were not allowed to open while other businesses were allowed to stay open. So larger businesses could operate. These small businesses were the last ones to open. So they've had a lot longer time that they haven't been able to work. So that means haven't been able to make money that they could pay off their loan. Also with women in particular, um, many women took on more childcare duties and, and domestic um, responsibilities than men did. And that means that they've had less time to put into their business. So again, anything like service, if you don't work, you don't get paid. Um, they tend to also be, um, I would say, have fewer fewer resources and access to finance. So less financial knowledge, for example, um, less connections, just less financial acumen to understand how to um, kind of, you know, manage their cash flow, for example, um, less advice on how to manage their finances. Black business owners in particular in Canada have also had to shoulder disproportionate amounts of debt. So Going into the pandemic, they already were carrying much more debt than non-Black business owners. And then adding on a SIBA loan, which they expected to be a grant, they now added on, you know, up to $60,000 more worth of loans to service. And it's not like we just jump back into this robust economy either. I mean, the the economy has been struggling uh, to regain ground. And that means those business owners are, by extension, struggling to gain ground. Yeah, absolutely. For every business owner that I've spoken to in our network, they all tell me the same thing, and that's that their costs have gone up and significantly. So business has not bounced back for most of those business owners. They are still, you know, doing less sales than they were before, and now their costs have risen. So for a lot of them, they just don't have any free cash left over to put towards debt right now. And what this means is obviously, as, as as we all know, I think, is that a lot of businesses will go out of business, myself included, by the way. I have a SIBA loan to keep the show on the air through the pandemic, and that is now coming due for me. Uh, and wh what that will mean for this show in the future is, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I am struggling to answer that, as everybody is. So what can we do about this? What's the government saying? Are there any possible solutions? Um, is anybody looking at an extension? Yeah, that's the question of the day, isn't it? <laughs> well, I would like so, to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and every other business owner who has a SIBA loan. We really don't know. The government has been very quiet on this topic. They have for sure... Um, they have seen the advocacy that we have done. They've seen the CFIB, that's the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses. They've been very um, vocal and they've been leaders in um, in CBA and the getting the first extension, first of all, and additionally to try and get some sort of term, new terms that are favorable to small businesses this time around. There was also a petition that was put out by, it was signed by more than 250 signatories across Canada, and those included almost every chamber of commerce in every province and territory. The government knows that there is a lot of pressure that businesses everywhere are facing challenges paying off. Um, and they do know that SIBA loans are disproportionately affecting women and marginalized business owners. So they are aware of that. I think that, you know, the challenge is how to manage that for them. Um, I, I have no indication of whether they 
are thinking of revising this, the terms or not. One of the so we're asking for a few specific things that would help. Um, one is an extension of the loan forgiveness period. So, uh, if if after twenty twenty three businesses can still qualify to get some of that loan forgiven, that would be a big help. That would mean you know say forty thousand instead of sixty thousand until twenty twenty five, for example. Um, waiving of the interest rate would also help so that businesses will have more cash available to pay off their principal instead of servicing the debt payments. Um, any, like basically any little bit would help. The, um, in terms of actions to take right now, there are petitions available. We have one online at sebaloanrelief.ca that business owners can sign and that sends a copy to the ministers of finance, to our prime minister, um, to the ministers of small business, telling them that you're a small business owner and you need SIBA loan support. So I do encourage you, Candice, to send one in um, and uh, speak to, you reach out to your MP. So that's your federal um, member of parliament and talk to them about your story. The more that ministers and um, MPs hear about businesses' experiences and personal anecdotes, I think the more powerful it comes across. Um, and there are some financial institutions that are starting to offer SIBA refinancing loans. So this is something that, you know, I would, I want to express a word of caution around because they are not as safe as what the government is offering. The government, um, if you don't qualify for loan forgiveness, the perks, I suppose the upside of what the government's um, terms are is that it's a fixed interest rate and it is not personally guaranteed. So those are really important things for businesses that need some sort of financial um, consistency and need to be able to plan ahead. Particularly for, for women, in addition, if if a woman business owner takes out a refinancing loan that is personally guaranteed, which means that you have to say, if I don't make this payment, you can have my car. If I don't make this payment, you can have my house. That puts a woman in a really precarious situation that we don't want any business owners to be in. So like lots of caution around that. We highly recommend to look at different options that you might have before going into a personally secured loan. And then the other thing is when you're considering a refinancing loan is play around with the different interest rates that um, are, well, play around just with, experiment with what your interest rate threshold is. So some products might be offering a variable interest rate, and that means that the, the interest rate might change. So it might rise over the three years of your loan. You should figure out how much you can afford to pay before you sign on to that loan because if there will be a ceiling in terms of the interest rate that you can the monthly interest payments that you can make so you might be able to afford an eight percent interest rate but you can't afford a 16 percent interest rate so you need to just make sure that you can afford you've got some cash available to afford whatever interest rate might be coming your way lots to consider for sure uh, as as the deadline approaches and I think I can I speak for many who have this loan we're going to drag it out to the last possible moment to make a decision because we're hoping the government is going to make some changes um, I can't thank you enough for joining me today and shining a brighter light on this which is going to be a huge problem for many people uh, I know that you're talking about it and advocating for change if people want to connect with you and find out more where is the best place for them to go they can take a look at see cebaloanrelief.ca. So that's C-E-B-A loanrelief.ca. Um, so we have a, a petition there that you can sign that I mentioned. We've explained what the, what the disproportionate impacts to women are, for example, and what we're calling for. You can also check out the Better Way Alliance website. So that's betterwayalliance.ca. You can follow us on Twitter, now X, at betterwaycan. Instagram or Facebook at Better Way Alliance. All right, wonderful. I'm going to put all of those links uh, when this goes live on podcast. And thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks a lot, Candace. More with Candace Sampson. 
and what she said coming right up. CareToKnow.ca is a free resource where Canadians receive the latest health information, updates on new and existing treatments, and advice from Canadian doctors via email. After enrolling at CareToKnow.ca, you'll receive accurate and reliable information from trusted Canadian medical experts delivered directly to your inbox. Members can also access the website for information on a variety of health-related topics. Through resources like vodcasts, podcasts, and live webinars, Canadian experts discuss how to manage a number of medical conditions and provide the latest knowledge and advice to help you make informed decisions about your family's health with your own healthcare provider. To sign up and start learning more about the health matters that impact you most, enroll in caretoknow.ca today. Now, back to Candace Sampson and what she said. Julie Cole is not only the co-founder of Mabel's Labels, a pioneering company designed to help parents stay organized, but she's also a hands-on mom of six. Her first-hand experience and expertise uniquely position her to offer practical insights and solutions to our next topic, controlling expenses during the back-to-school season. If you've ever grappled with managing costs and ensuring your kids have what they need for school, you're in for a valuable session. Let's dive right in with Julie. Welcome back, Julie. Oh, thanks, Ken. It's so great to be here. Happy back to school season. I knew you were the expert I had to reach out to on this topic. Uh, I, could, I can't think of anybody better. So it's an expensive time of year, obviously. And so from your experience and observations, what are parents typically spending their money on right now? All right. Well, the polls are in. And actually, it looks as though parents are spending on average just shy of $600 per student going wow. back to school. And also, um, 75% of parents are saying that they are stressed out about the back to school spending, and they're also going to, into debt to do it. And what's it like? So is this money like is this supplies, Julie? Is this food? Is it clothing? Is it extracurriculars? Is it what does it look at? It is all of those things. But also remember, a lot of people, particularly with older kids, as you know, is there's tech involved as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think what parents need to remember is that. Your kids don't have to have all the things. I, I wonder why parents spend so much when they can't afford it or when it causes debt. And I think it's a classic case of FOMO, right? We we have our we're projecting our FOMO onto our kids. We don't want their friends having all the things. We right. want to set our kids up for success. I get that. And often at back to school, that makes it feel like they have to have all the things. So I would suggest to parents, you know, um, maybe if you're feeling that way and you're seeing other people's feeds, it might be a good time to take a little social media diet if you're feeling a lot of pressure to spend when you don't have. Yeah. And, you know, I love too, though, I think there's a, a new sort of trend in social media, especially like places like TikTok, where people are just being honest about it. And there's nothing wrong with just being honest about, hey, this is tight this year. What's your suggestion? Or, you know, maybe you could do a sharing or a swapping group with other moms even. Well, exactly, Candice. And there are a lot of solutions out there for folks. And that's one. I mean, my kids are big into thrifting. Like, I laugh. They bring stuff home all the time. It's got Mabel's labels in it, of course, because they've gone thrifting. Um, but also, you know, there's Facebook groups. I know every high school and every grade school has a Facebook group. We do uniform swaps. You can go to Marketplace. If you can, you know, shop off-season. Note for next year. Get your school supplies off-season. And couponing, comparison shopping. But hey, first and foremost, Set up budget, and this is a good chance to talk to your kids about wants versus needs. And a budget is only as good as sticking to it. So make sure you involve the kids. This is a good chance to have that conversation about financial literacy and, and teach them about that. And I find often if you ask them to put a little skin in the game, you find out really what their needs versus wants are. They might want that pair of, you know, designer shoes. Then you're saying, hey, that's cool. You pay half. And then they say, you know what? I'm okay. Then you know. <laughs> I have learned that old dirty trick, I can tell you. Actually, this is you bring in a really excellent point about involving the kids. And is there, you know, how early did you involve your kids in, you know, 
learning about budgeting and buying their back to school supplies? Couple of things. I did it uh, very early. I always uh, brought them shopping. Uh, we developed the list. And here's the thing about the list. Don't go rogue. The school will provide you a list. So stick mm -hmm. to the list. And then yes, talking about wants and needs with them and setting that budget and making them stick to it. And of course, back to school has always been a big deal around here because through my business, it's our biggest season. So they've been involved in that way too. So back to school is just a part of a part of our lives, right? So um, I would just think the, mo the more you involve your kids, the other thing Honestly, this parenting gig is is role modeling. Like now I've got kids going off to university. My fourth kid is going off to university. So we're thinking, huh, credit cards, huh? What do they pay for? Books and beer? Or do they pay for residence? What? No, we talk to them about RESPs the whole time. These are conversations that are ongoing and we role model. They know that I have never paid a credit card late because I will not pay that interest. So we've had these conversations. And again, role modeling, um, good financial sense is the best thing you can do for your kids. All right. As usual, excellent advice, Julie. But this was a short interview and there's a big topic here. So you have lots of information over on your website, correct? Yep. yep. If you actually can find everything about me, um, and where to find me on the socials, go to mableslabels.com slash Julie Cole. And we have a vibrant community there where lots of tips and tricks are shared. Incredible. I can't thank you enough for joining me today, Julie. And happy back to school. Happy back to school, Candace. Good luck. And Brody is here for Saturday Night at the Movies. And this week, we have an interesting mix of fact and fiction, starting with Helen Mirren, bringing in the big guns right away, Anne, with Golda. Let's talk about it. Holy cow. She is, she's phenomenal. The film could be better, but she knows her stuff. She's under 10 pounds of makeup. I mean, if you saw her, you would think it was Golda Meir until those eyes pop out. You know what I mean? She plays uh, one of the few women who had power, political power in the 70s, major power. She was a prime minister of uh, Israel, as we all know. And Israel had just won a war against the Arabs. Well, there was a lot of tension brewing, and it seemed that Although they had some information, Israeli security didn't respond to the idea that Syria and Egypt might invade, and they did. Israel had 24 hours to figure out what to do, and she was, not only was she leading the country and, and setting policy in terms of dealing with this, she was also undergoing radiation treatment. I mean, what a woman, what a woman. Um, you know, and she's very tough with the men. They respect her. And the heart of the film, to my mind, is her female assistants. They're very close and very, you know, they share their emotions and their fears. So it's it's almost like two films. But I must say, she's taught, commanding, businesslike. Um, but, you know, there's plenty of heart there. And I was surprised how humbly she lived. They had... Um, they recreated her apartment, very, very small in Tel Aviv, and it just makes your heart go out to her. Yeah, she she is uh, Helen Mirren. I mean, I don't know a lot about Golda Meir, honestly, just, you know, a little bit through hit for history lessons. But, well, but Helen Mirren uh, just looks like she immerses herself in this role so deeply. I'm really looking forward to watching it just based on that alone. Yeah. Good. Well, I think you'll appreciate. And it's a great history lesson. Great history lesson. And we all need more of those. Yeah, let's let's do. move on, though. Let's talk about Dreamin' Wild. This is a kind of a wild story. It's a wild and wonderful story, fact-based. So these two brothers who live out in the middle of nowhere in a farm somewhere in the Midwest, uh, John, John and Doe... John, Don and Joe Emerson. Listen to that. Anyway, they put together an album when they're teenagers, 15 and 17, something like that. Well, one of them is a real prodigy. And they they sell a few records. Their father, played by Bo Bridges, what a performance. He um, buys up tons and tons of the records and stores them in the basement. Cut to 2011, which is like 20, 15 years later, whatever. And an agent shows up at their door. Turns out somebody had discovered the album and it had gone viral again. 
they didn't know because there's obviously no internet where they are. So he, <laughs> the brothers have to decide whether they want to jump in again because Don's life has been completely colored by the guilt he felt by about the money his father laid out for their career, uh, losing three quarters of their farm in the process. So, you know, I'll wait for you people to see what happens. I'm not going to give it away. But it's just the most breathtaking story about family love. It's it's sweet, simmering, and it, it's a little bit withholding at times, I find, which makes it even more intriguing. It's a serious film. All right. Uh, it, uh, Casey Affleck's in it, of course, and, yeah. you know, people have personal opinions about him, but I don't think you can deny <laughs> yes. his acting ability, and it looks really good. Yeah. So um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about The Bank of Dave. That's a great story. Again, it's fact-based. And so we have uh, a guy named Dave Fishwick from Burnley in the UK. He was a self-made millionaire. He lived in this tiny village and he'd always loaned money to the villagers, you know, very, very low rate of interest. Um, Not a single person failed to pay him back. So he figured, why don't I set up a bank and I can help everyone out here in this rural area? and keep the rates low and help the economy going. And there hadn't been a new bank registered in England in 150 years. And the people in London who were who were uh, trying to get this going for him had no faith whatsoever. So it went forward. He created this bank and he's like a folk hero. Uh, and he loved Def Leppard. And there's a Def Leppard concert at the end of it. It's really unusual. It's on Apple TVs. Uh, no, it's not. I'm sorry. It's on TVOD. Um, and well worth a look. It's it's a sweet portrait of village life and about this philanthropic soul who who just opens people's lives up to possibility. But also, you know, I found this was a really good statement on the state of things in our world today, you know, where greed has run amok and you've got somebody here who's just who can help and yes, does. And, and does. it's just, that's exactly what it should be like. Yeah. Isn't that a lesson for us all? Yeah. So you've got all of these and more uh, over on whatshesaidtalk.com, including a bonus for Gen Z <laughs> <laughs> with Cole Sprouse in it, because I no, know that... Uh, Dylan, Dylan Sprouse. Sorry, Dylan twin. Sprouse. I always get those twins confused. Dylan Sprouse is in it. Um, and I know Gen <laughs> Z, if, if they remember the sweet life of Zach and Cody, yeah. they're going to remember him. So uh, that's called what? Beautiful Disaster? A Beautiful Disaster. It's on Prime Video, and uh, you'll be surprised by the character that he plays. So let's just leave it at that. It's a all right. authentic drama comedy. All right, excellent. Uh, so this is all over on what she said talk.com, where to find all of these shows, and you'll be back next week with more. I will, and I'll see you then. Thank you. When it comes to compassion, women often have heaps for other people, but very little for themselves. It's an issue we need to address. So in this next segment, we're going to explore the transformative power of self-compassion with Steph Kelly of Copper Thread Coaching, a renowned life and business coach who empowers individuals to embrace authentic success and well-being. With her unique approach that blends play and empowerment, Steph helps clients navigate the delicate balance between ambition and mental wellness. Welcome to what she said, Steph. Thanks for having me. Your approach is really unique, sort of integrating play to lighten the self-help journey. So how is this method proven effective for your clients? We like to talk about it like the proverbial cheese sauce on the broccoli. You know, like I think we've all seen so many help self-help books. We've been to so many team building events. You kind of get tired of it. You're not excited. You're not engaged anymore. By mixing in play and making it a little bit lighter and more accessible, instead of that feeling of like, ugh, I have to do it, you can get people to come in and look forward to it and open that gateway and make it feel a bit a bit lighter and a little bit less like heavy lifting and more like something you want to do and want to engage with. So play is really the gateway that we use to invite people in to sort of see what's in there and be curious. So, so you've mentioned that your initial... Uh, concept of self-compassion was somewhat sarcastic and skeptical. So can you walk us through your evolution from being sarcastic and skeptical to embracing it? Yeah, for sure. So 
I am a recovering type A people pleaser, sort of perfectionist type of human, as lots of women are. And I've gone through most of my life motivating myself with sort of guilt, shame, threats of what will happen if I'm imperfect. And it worked really well until it didn't. And I burnt out and I had to figure out a new way. And I was introduced to self-compassion. And I'd say for maybe the first year that I was learning, I had to actually, I just called it self-compassion because even (laughs) saying the words made my skin crawl, like it just felt icky. Um, I think as as women, we're not really socialized to be kind to ourselves, right? It's just not, we're, we're to be there for others and we're to be perfect all of the time. And it just doesn't come naturally to us. So I started learning. I started using it. The beauty of self-compassion is it actually doesn't matter whether you believe what you're saying to yourself or not. It starts the process off. So I begrudgingly started being nice to myself, saw a few of those changes and went, oh, okay, maybe there is something to this. And then I could actually engage with the process, leaned in. It, and honestly, it, it changed my life. It changed how I see myself, the world, my relationships. And so I went and I, I got the sort of full certification from Dr. Kristen Neff to be able to teach other people how they can be nice to themselves without hating it and having to say self-compassion. I love that. And I am known for doing that as well. Uh, so let's debunk some myths then. You say there are three that we need to sort of really take a closer look at. Do you want to address those? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the big, there's, I mean, there's tons of them, but I think the big three, especially for women is firstly, that self-compassion is going to make you weak. Um, I know for myself, I had sort of visions of like lying on the couch in wrapped in self-pity and just never doing anything and not being able to handle hard things. The research really, really clearly shows that this isn't the case. Um, One of my favorite studies is out of the University of Arizona, and they did this enormous study where they figured out that people who were, uh, when they were speaking about their divorces, using self-compassionate languages tended to fare better, not only at the time of the divorce, but nine months later. And as you all know, this is you know one of the more difficult things that a person can navigate. The language that they were using with themselves, the way that they spoke about themselves, about their interactions, they adjusted for all of the factors that may have skewed those results, You know, your attachment style, whether you tended to be an optimist if you had mental health struggles, even with all of those controls, just the self-compassion showed that everybody does better, can handle harder things, is more resilient, is more motivated when they treat themselves with kindness. So you will not become a bump on a log that can't handle hard things, I promise. You'll be more able to manage them. All right, excellent. And another myth would be about... Uh... Bubble baths and face masks? <laughs> this one? Okay. So we hear this one a lot. When we talk to clients, sort of the, you know, one of the first things that I'll ask a client is like, what do you think self-compassion is? What does it mean to you? And a lot of the time you hear sort of typical self-care activities. Well, I could take a bubble bath after a hard day and have a face mask. And like, I love a good face mask. Don't get me wrong. But that's not exactly what we're talking about when we say self-compassion. Yes, it has the warm and fuzzy uh, self-talk and the understanding, but it also includes what's called fierce self-compassion. And that's sort of how you treat your system when you're forced to do something really, really overwhelming or really, really hard. So for example, if you take uh, two kids and you have two kids that are having to take a really, really difficult test that they haven't been prepared for. One kid has a parent who is yelling at them, threatening them about what will happen if they don't do well, you know, demeaning them. The other kid has a parent who is encouraging the opportunity to learn something regardless of the results, telling them that they are praising them for their effort and the amount of work that they're putting into it and reminding them that they've done hard things so they can do more hard things. Which kid do you think is going to do better on that test? It's going to be the kid that has someone that's in their corner and our systems are very much the same. You will do better. You will be more resilient when you are in your own corner, whispering sweet, kind, supportive things to yourself rather than if you are imperfect, everything will fall apart. And it's something that you'll see. It happens really quickly when you do this work, that change, seeing that threat sort of disappear and having that resilience. It's, It's very... Um, it's a very quick turnaround, which is nice. So, I mean, don't skip the bubble baths and face masks, but also that's not the whole picture. Yeah, and we've sort of been marketed to uh, that when it comes to that, you know, um, by other companies out there. I mean, you can be kind to yourself if it's walking barefoot in the grass or going for a hike, you know, it's going to look different for everybody. Um, I think one of the other myths, though, that I think we should address is that there is a difference between self-esteem and self-compassion. Can you sort of expand on that a little bit? This, so this one's my hot take. This is my my particular soapbox. We, especially as women, have been sold for you know the last 30 or 40 years this story about self-esteem and how we need to build self-esteem, how important it is. 
self-compassion in in my opinion and in the research shows that it's so much more superior to self-esteem. Almost all of the women that we work with struggle with the feeling that no matter how hard they work and what they do, it's never good enough, ever, ever, ever. They're never enough for themselves. They're never enough for everybody else. On the flip side, when you have a focus on self-esteem, you can develop what's known as a self-enhancement bias, which essentially means you have a tendency to sort of overestimate your abilities. You are funny, you are prettier, you are smarter than others. You put yourself a leg above. And then we end up in this weird spot where we kind of flip-flop between those two things, comparing ourselves to others and deciding how we feel about us based on where we fall on that ranking compared to other people, or just telling ourselves that no matter what we do, it's not enough. Self-esteem depends on outside forces, your finances, your looks, your social standing, whatever that thing is, which means it can be taken away from you. You know, you can lose your job, you can lose your money, you can lose your looks at, at any given moment. And all of a sudden you're left with this sort of crisis of identity. Who am I and why am I worthy and what am I doing? When you have self-compassion, yeah, you may still lose your job and it may still be deeply painful, but it doesn't threaten your sense of self. You know that you can support your system and navigate through whatever waters you happen to be paddling through at that moment and still be okay. It also takes away sort of that need to engage in social comparison, the constant wonder of what other people are thinking about you, the mean girl effect where you're making someone feel smaller to make you feel bigger because you make you feel bigger. You don't need somebody else to do that. So I vote for self-compassion every day of the week. So I know that people are listening to this and some people will be having just, you know, a regular day feeling sort of okay about things, but there's going to be somebody listening to this right now who's going to be extraordinarily low. and you know when you're in that spot, I know when I'm in that spot, that there's not much you could tell me to move me forward. What would you say to somebody right now who's feeling that way? Self-compassion at its base is really just being willing to say to yourself that this is in fact as hard as you think it is and that anyone else that is in an identical situation to you would be going through the same thing and that that's okay. Um, you don't have, when you're in the low place, you don't have a lot to lose. And you've already tried probably being pretty mean to yourself and threatening yourself and feeling that anxiety. It is worth trying even for a minute, even if you have to call it South compassion as you do it, just to see, because like I said, it is so quick and it is so valuable. And the things that you're doing, you're treating yourself how you treat the people that you love. And when you see that distance between how you speak to you versus how you speak to the person you love the most, it's shocking. And that's a really, really big motivator and a really, really big sort of thread to pull to figure out how you can be kinder. Well, this sounds like a skill that we should all be working on. Uh, so I want people to be able to keep up with you because you're quite active on TikTok. You're sharing pretty much everywhere and you work with people individually. So where's the best place for them to connect with you and keep up? So we are on social media. We post every day all kinds of practical tips and tools that you can use in self-compassion and all kinds of other things that will sort of take you from where you are to where you want to be. Um, we are Copper Thread Coaching. And if you search any social media, we'll be there. Or our website is copperthreadcoaching.com. All right. Incredible stuff. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me, Candice. It was lovely. In today's economic climate, every dollar saved counts more than ever. That's why I'm thrilled to have Dee DeBarros with us, one half of the dynamic coupon couple. With their mission of guiding Canadians on how to navigate the rising prices and stretch their budgets, Dee and Tom are making waves on social media. From traditional coupons to cashback apps and more, they are changing the game for many Canadian households. Dee, it's fantastic to have you join me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, so a lot of people are under the impression, I think, that couponing is a thing of the past or that it's too complicated to get into. So what's your advice for Canadians just starting out and feeling a little bit overwhelmed? It can be totally overwhelming. And you think of couponing and you think of cutting up uh, coupons at your kitchen table, but it's not like that anymore. And a lot of things that you can do is just right on your phone and starting off with uh getting a flyer app is it's as simple as that and then signing up for some of the loyalty points grocery stores offer um, getting apps like checkout 51 so a lot of things that you could do without physical coupons is can be done right on your phone 
What about organizing it all, though? Because there's a lot of information out there when it comes to, you know, save so much here, buy one, get one free, uh, you know, reward points and all of that. How do you organize all of that and keep it straight for yourself even? (laughs) Yeah, I like what I like to do is I like to write everything down. Um, If I'm working on a deal, I like write it out. What coupons am I going to use? How many points am I going to get? Can I combine this with cashback offers? And writing it all down uh, really helps me. A lot of people like to have spreadsheets. That's a lot. (laughs) So when you're just starting out, out, um, it's just really easy to go back to basics, pen and paper, just write it out, see, do one deal at a time you know, when you're starting. And, you know, I I send out a a form to people ahead of time. And in it, you mentioned about, you know, distinguishing between wants and needs. And I have to tell you, I I felt really seen at that moment, because I struggle with wants and needs, as we all do. And I'll give you a perfect example, I will be scrolling through TikTok, and I will see something. I'm like, that is very, very cool. Until that minute, I didn't know it existed. But now I suddenly need it. So how do you keep on top of those wants and needs? Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, distinguishing what's the the need, especially right now, back to school. What's the need? Well, we need to go get a backpack. We need to get pencils. But do we need to go to a certain store to do that? Or can we look at the flyers to see what's on sale? Can we combine that with loyalty points um, and get some money back? for spending on back to school that we can use on our groceries. So it's thinking of wants and needs in a sense of you have to have these things for back to school, but what can we do to really maximize our savings? Okay, so this is what she said, but let's talk a little bit about the he in this duo. Tom (laughs) is equally involved in in couponing, um, and that sort of breaks some stereotypes. So what's the response been from people who follow you? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes uh, I'll post, he'll post a video. Um, I edit all the videos, but he he does his own videos as well. And I'll get comments or DMs and saying, I wish my husband was like that. Or, you know, it, it really touches them to see my partner just as equally involved. And um, it's like, well, I didn't make him do that. He wants to do that. You know, it's a partnership. And partnerships look really different for other people. I've had people uh, reach out that there were these like three roommates all got together and started cooking their meals together and saving money together and couponing together in the household just to save money as students. So I think if you can do it with a partner, I mean, that's that's a bonus, right? Because that will save you way more time and you can divide it any way, which way you feel. Oh, I love it. I I I love everything about what you're doing. But and as you continue to grow, though, in popularity, do you feel a little stressed, like a little bit of burden of responsibility for your community? Um, I'm very privileged to have such an amazing community. It's, it's absolutely awesome. Um, but it just speaks to the time that we're in, right? That this information is really needed right now, and we're not getting it from traditional places. So, you know, having the ability to to get this information out there, I do feel a little bit responsible to do that as as a couponer. But just to show people, you can really save money doing these things, like try it. We don't have a lot of time left, but are there certain apps that you would recommend for people to have on their phone and certain places for them to look for those weekly coupons? Absolutely. So um, definitely a flyer app like uh, Flip or Rebe. And cashback apps like Checkout 51, Cattle, and Eclipsa, and food saving apps like uh, Too Good to Go or uh, Flash Foods are great apps to just install and get going right away. Okay, excellent. So you're always sharing information on on your TikTok and and other places. So where do you want people to connect with you and and keep up with all that you're sharing? Our socials are at uh, coupon dot couple. And you can find us on TikTok, on Instagram. We also have a Facebook group, um, Savvy Savers. So you can connect with us there. We have a website, um, just like a link tree that all the links we post that you can go to, all the apps we use, everything that we want to talk about couponing, it's all on our link tree, which you can find on our TikTok, on our Instagram. So yeah, at coupon.couple. Well, Dee, I know I truly appreciate what you're sharing. So, and I, and I hope my listeners will too. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. 
I've recently heard of a phenomenon in the workplace called the September Surge, that time between Labor Day and Halloween when employers are actively recruiting new employees. But potential employers should know that it's more than just the wage that will attract dedicated employees, but also healthy HR policies, parental leave being a big one. Joining me to share how employers, in particular small business employers, can up their game in this area without breaking the bank is Alison Venditti, the founder of Moms at Work and My Parental Leave. With 15 years of HR experience and personal insight into her own maternity leaves, Alison has created a platform to support parents during this crucial life transition. Welcome back to the show, Alison. Thanks for having me. So we've discussed My Parental Leave before, but there's been a big change. So do you want to share that? Yeah. When we built my parental leave, it was in response to a survey we had done that showed that, you know, like 95% of women had no support going back to work, which was a staggering number. And that covered across industries. And when we were designing the program, as we were going through it, we decided we didn't want to create another program that only people and employees at big companies would get access to. So, you know, that's not who we were trying to target. I've done consulting for small and mid-sized businesses, and they don't have the money or the time or the resources in order to be able to do this, so we made it free. And so the thing that we designed for bigger companies is now going to be available for free to small companies and their employees. This is great news because better policies lead to happier employees and that leads to a better business. So I love that. And over the years, you've worked with numerous parents and employers. So what are some of the most common challenges these parties face when it comes to parental leave? So when we talk about parental leave, people get really fixated on top up and that turns small and mid-sized employers. They're like, well, and top up's never going to happen. And it's not really about the money. It's how people are treated during this leave and the complexities around parental leave in Canada, because, you know, it falls under EI and the Employment Standards Act can get pretty dicey. And Employers are not supposed to be able to tell their employees what to do, how many months to take, all of those things. So the biggest things that we include are tools for, you know, we're going to talk about it. We're talking about pregnancy and infant loss. It's it's way more common than people lose. And it's really an uncomfortable topic for both individuals and employers to talk about. So we've included big parts of that. Return to work strategies, tools. Um, forms, guides, so that, you know, employers can say, hey, you know, like, here's how we're going to do return to work. Because for most parents, it's the first time they've done this transition. It's all brand new. And for small businesses, it's new too. So we're trying to give as many tools as we can to make this transition really easy and smooth. So how does my parental leave work then? So we designed it, we took the 150 top questions that we saw in Moms at Work, right? That's a lot of questions. And I was just going to say, actually, could we pause there for a second? Because I think it's important for people to understand how many members you have in Moms at Work. So we're we have almost twenty thousand members. So we scraped through and took the top questions that we saw. There were about one hundred and fifty of them. Some of them are frequent. You know, do I am I entitled to my job back? How does vacation pay work? All of these types of questions, and we and we answered them. And we didn't just answer them ourselves. We went and got the experts. So we have employment lawyers, tax specialists. Um, Sunnybrook uh, Pregnancy and Infant Loss did their piece on that. We therapists, all the people who are the experts in these areas, we brought them in to to write these sections so that people could understand. The other thing that this really helps and who has shockingly been been the biggest uptake of this course is um, frontline care physicians, nurses, people who support pregnant people because they don't know what employers need. And employers aren't allowed to ask them for the things that they need. So if you need an accommodation, you can't be doing heavy lifting, you work in a warehouse. So we walk through all of those types of accommodations. So that was an unintended benefit. Uh, But mostly it's been small businesses who are like, I just have no idea what I'm supposed to give my employees. Let's flip to the other side of things then. Let's say people are listening right now and they're preparing for or currently on parental leave. What's some advice you would share with them? I would say understand and know your rights. Pregnant people have a lot of rights. Parents have a lot of rights in Canada and it can be really overwhelming. And employers who are the people who you're really asking for advice from aren't equipped to give those answers. So I've done parental leave programming in HR for almost 20 years. And the stuff I hear from HR professionals is wrong. Like it's wrong. I I was like, so you're telling people that. So 
one major employer who I worked with, they didn't have a lactation room. It's required under human like rights in BC and Ontario. So if they don't know that and they have an HR team of 150 people, what are the chances that a small employer are going to? And that's an awkward conversation. So it becomes a lot easier when you say, hey, I took that course that you mentioned and it, it, you know, here's an outline and here's a, like for our pumping section, we have signs for your doors. We have an outline of all the things that you're supposed to need so that it's not a discussion. It's more like, here's a tool that we can implement together. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring people together as part of this process because it can become very adversarial with lack of knowledge. I just want to mention here, we're almost out of time, but this is, i you may have said this, but I think I need to say it again because it's my favorite F word. This is free, 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 free. So you want to go get it, Allison. Where can people um, find my parental leave, uh, join the Facebook group if they want to, and keep up with all that you share? Yeah, so my parental leave is myparentalleave.ca. Again, it's totally free. Share it with your friends. Share it with your employer. Uh, it will always be free. We have no intention of monetizing this. It's part of our advocacy work at Moms at Work. Moms at Work is at thisismomsatwork.com. And the Facebook group is just Moms at Work. So again, it's a free Facebook group. A lot of what Moms at Work puts out is free uh, because it's important that everybody, every parent and every person who wants to help parents has access to this kind of information. Well, you continue to do amazing work. And I thank you again for joining me, Allison. And we'll have you back again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with my newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson wherever you listen to podcasts to catch past episodes and extended interviews. I'll be back next week with more What She Said. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.